Hello and welcome to Movies on the Side. This is Steven Robles. And this is Nate Baranowski, reporting from a Starbucks coffee parking lot. <laughs> and this week we have a very special returning guest. Adam Lissagor joins us to discuss the 2012 film Cloud Atlas. We discuss the makeup department and the amazing transformation of the characters about 80% of the time. <laughs> if you have not seen this movie, it's fine. You can still listen to this episode. Just be aware you might have no idea the words that we are saying for the next 45 minutes. We discuss the themes and the bold decisions that this movie makes to be unlike almost any other movie. And if you ever wanted to see Tom Hanks as an Irish Guy Fieri, this is the movie for you. All this and more on Movies on the Side. As a warm-up question, uh, Cardinal, can I call you that? What do you? Prefer? Oh, I insist. I insist on I everybody insist. calling me <laughs> okay. Cardinal Lissagor from this moment on because it's never happened before. Oh, I think it has a nice ring to it. Yeah. I think I think it sounds very nice. Cardinal Lissagor, thank you so much for joining us on this special episode of Movies on the Side, your second appearance on this podcast, which is unbelievable. So thank you so much. Isn't that exciting um, for me, like <laughs> that I get to be on your show twice and I get to talk about, I think uh, King of Comedy was one of my favorite movies, Cloud Atlas, not to <laughs> spoil the lead, but Cloud Atlas is... I've realized my number one favorite movie. Oh my goodness. Uh, so, so this is monumental for wow. me. Oh my goodness. Well, I can't wait to dive into it. This, <laughs> this is... the, the, the subtext of that, wow, was like, really? <laughs> Adam, you challenge my definition of what a movie is based on the movies you bring here. Cloud Atlas from 2012, starring Tom Hanks, Halle Berry, and a host of other characters. I had not seen this movie until you wanted to do it. <laughs> and Nate and I have now seen it for the first time ever in the year of our Lord, 2022. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm not really sure what life is after seeing this movie. <laughs> you know, I typically try to summarize like a big, like here's the, the, the plot or here's the idea of this movie. How do you even go about introducing a movie like this adam you would and i think you you have to say something a little bit more abstract like the movie is composed like a symphony or a tone poem where it weaves together <laughs> six <laughs> uh is it six is it five it's six of them right so it's it's the cloud atlas sextet and it, it plays out like a piece of music that interweaves the stories and the characters with that aforementioned continuity of soul, where some the actors will play multiple characters in in the different threads, and um, and over the course of three hours, will tell a complete story about you know something larger than any of them, which is ultimately a story of humanity and love, right? And and unity. So you you kind of have to you have to kind of take a, a you know a high level view, a thirty thousand foot view of the movie first before you're like. Okay, we open and a guy is kind of jibber-jabbering. Jibber He's old, kind of looks like Tom Hanks. Yeah, it actually might be Tom Hanks. You, you can't really start there. If you start telling the story there, then you're going to fail, which is, I think, probably why it lost a lot of, of, of the audience, Yeah, which is that people are expecting a movie to, to conform to traditional storytelling frameworks and this just absolutely does not do that it is so ambitious it is so ambitious to me it's 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 a masterwork i i just you know every time i watch this movie i fall in love with it again 
I'm someone who's very bored very easily with movies, and I think all movies should be 85 minutes. Right. And this is not. This is a three-hour um, movie. No, no, no. I started watching this movie yesterday afternoon, and I didn't stop, and I just finished it five minutes ago. <laughs> Nate, what were you going to say about this movie? No, I was going to say, I think you said it very accurately that this movie is so different from many, many other movies. And a lot of times audiences and critics alike don't know what to do with it. I would give it this analogy. It would be as if uh, you have gone and seen traditional musicals your whole life. Like, oh man, I love Music Man and, and Cats and like, this is great. And you show up to something, and it's the opera. And that's kind of like the difference between is, wait, hold on a second. Mm. This is all in Italian. I don't speak Italian. Or, like, I, yeah. wait, I, this is foreign to me. And someone tells you, and you're like, I don't understand what's going on. What's They're dancing around up there. What's happening? And it's almost like <laughs> I needed someone to come on the screen right after I saw the initial five minutes of the movie and I needed yeah. someone to pop up. Maybe, maybe I needed Adam to pop up and say, Hey, <laughs> I just want to let you know, don't be scared. You're, yeah. you don't know oh. what's going on now. And by the way, in uh, an hour and a half, you, won't know. you still won't know, but I need you to just kind of yeah. sit back and take in the overall vibe, take in the feeling oh, of it and really Almost cross your eyes like you're looking at a magic eye and try to stop <laughs> 3D. Try to stop wondering and figuring out, okay, this is happening 40 years later. I wonder if this connects to the... No, no, no. Stop doing that and start just kind of being in it. Yeah. And I think I needed that about five minutes in because this is to opera. You know, opera to musicals yeah. is yeah, like yeah. this movie to other traditional mu movies. Well, I wish I could have been there for you, brother, because I'll talk you through <laughs> it and I'll, I'll, I'll hold your hand and I'll make you feel good. While my extensive experience as an editor has led me to a disdain for flashbacks and flash forwards and all such tricksy gimmicks, I believe that if you, dear reader, can extend your patience for just a moment, you will find there is a method to this tale of madness. So the first time I saw this movie was when it first came out, I brought my two employees at the time, JP and Claude with me. And I thought we are, we are filmmakers. We're opening ourselves to a filmmaking experience. This is going to be epic. And I sat there in the theater for three hours and had my mind blown summarily. <laughs> and we walked out of the theater and I looked at those guys with tears in my eyes. And I said, right, right guys. And they looked back <laughs> at me and they said, what the f did we just watch? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's that seems like that that sums up the entire spectrum. I really feel of people who go, man, I get it, and other people who go, I can't have those hours back. <laughs> yeah, those are gone forever. Because well, when you see the trailer of this movie, because I remember hearing this movie, and I also knew the Wachowski sisters directed Jupiter Ascending, mm. which came out like in the few years of each other, and I assumed right. that Cloud Atlas. And Jupiter Ascending, which sounds like they're almost two books in the same series, right, right. would have like a similar feel. None. And so half expecting that, like I was not prepared to go into this movie cold turkey and digest what was happening because yeah. it like happens to you. You don't watch it. I think it just <laughs> right. happens to you. Right. You submit to it. You have to submit to it. But, it, you know, I even look back, Roger Ebert 
was still alive when this movie came out. Mm-hmm. He gave it four out of five stars. Absolutely. He said it was like a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma, but he still said it was a masterpiece. Yeah, he says it's one of the am- most ambitious films ever made. Uh, even if he was watching it the, the first time, he knew he'd need to see it again. And and again, he says it's a daring and visionary film. You know, I trust that guy. Yeah. I, yeah. Trust, I, I trust that guy. L- Lily Wachowski said as soon as critics encounter a piece of art they don't fully understand the first time going through it they think it's the fault of the movie or of the work of art Mm. they think it's a mess that doesn't make any sense and then they reject it uh out of a knee-jerk response to the ambiguity or some gulf between what they're expecting they should be able to understand and what they understand and one of the characters in the movie timothy cavendish at the book at the at at the (laughs) literary event for uh, dermot Hoggins' uh, knuckle sandwich. He, uh, <laughs> Timothy Cavendish says, uh, <laughs> "He says, what is a critic but one who reads quickly, arrogantly, but never wisely?" <laughs> there were so many great lines like that. Also in that scene, seeing Tom Hanks as like a mafia guy Fieri oh, from the future. So good. So it good. took me probably five minutes to realize that was Tom Hanks. Like I just. I have never seen Tom Hanks in such a wide variety of roles and as like a villain yeah. in some of these stories. Yeah. Like, do you feel like his performance was as good as it feels like it was? Oh, yeah. I think he's so crucial and core to this movie. I think, well, first of all, the movie would not have been made without him because, again, from that trivia, they had a hard time finding funding, you know, go figure, for this for this, right. for this this movie. <laughs> Uh, and securing the money of uh, it, it was a hundred forty dollar, a hundred forty million dollar budget to make this movie, and it was partly financed by the German government. It was considered an independent movie, all, all the uh, Warner Brothers released it. I guess every time, every time funding was about to happen, but then was going to pause. Tom Hanks would say, right. "No, let's do this thing. I'm, 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 I'm going. I'm, I'm in, and let's make it happen." And ultimately, he loves, he loves the film. And Wachowski sisters like put in millions of their own money to oh, make this realize. movie. Yeah, yeah, they put like seven to nine million. Seven. Yeah, and I think the quick question, not to derail us too much, but what does the German government get? <laughs> you for... can't derail this movie, Nate. The, there is no rail. The uh, it's in the sky. <laughs> the the German government gave oh, like thirty million dollars in funding. What does the German government yeah. get from that? Well, in Europe, it's more common for you know national ministries of art to fund films like this it's It's just just part of the arts culture oh got it yeah funding the arts it's it's a point of national pride and then you know it's it's almost like the same benefit as as tourism or whatever right yeah Um, they know that it enriches the culture and yeah so it's i mean think of that happening now it would never national endowment of of the art for the arts is all but dead Mm. so because private sector funds everything capitalism is king uh but over there it just makes a lot of sense for the german government to say like we're funding a blockbuster and this is going to be so very german which one of the you know tom tick for one of the three directors is german right oh okay he's a he's a hometown boy got it and he actually had a large part in the movie score which was actually nominated yeah he's a composer so director of run lola run and perfume are two of his previous successes but he is he's one of those uh, those filmmakers like John Carpenter, who, you know, who's a, who's a composer as well. And so musicality weaves through all of the work that he does. So one last piece of trivia too. Tom Hanks says, this is the only movie that he starred in that he's seen more than twice. Right. Isn't that incredible? I love that guy. 
I love that guy. He's a national treasure. This movie came up recently, and even before you had mentioned, well, I think you mentioned Cloud Atlas on the last time you were on, Adam, but like mm-hmm. yeah. the, uh, I was listening to an interview with Tom Hanks where uh, an interview like from three months ago where he still talks very fondly of Cloud Atlas. And I remember having the thought yes. of like, well, I really should give this movie a watch. I don't know how this movie snuck past me. He really does think of it like, I'm glad we did it. I'm really glad we yeah, we right. did this, even though I'm sure in sort of mainstream critique, it's a movie that either went past people without them seeing it, or I would say over the head, or maybe <laughs> around the back behind yeah. people. When you're Tom Hanks, I don't think you tie as much of your own personal measure of success to to critical success or even box office success i think that he considers this a personal achievement that's that's Mm. monumental in scale and i'd agree with him speaking of achievement in this movie of the arts the makeup department in this movie i don't i i finished this i finished watching this movie about an hour ago which is probably the worst thing i could do because as soon as i finished i was like i need three days to process I need two days to do internet research, and I need to look up all of the makeup department uh, people in this movie. I would say that 80% of the makeup job in this movie is so, so... Yeah. It is really like a testament to, like, I saw, like, old age makeup is hard. Sure. And small alterations, you know, nose alterations and all this stuff, without it looking cheesy, right. is so, so hard. And for the most part, again, probably 80%, I really feel like they nailed it. The old age makeup right. on Tom Hanks at the beginning, when he is yeah. beginning his yarn, yeah. beginning well, yarn. He's, he's speaking the true true. Yeah, yeah speaking <laughs> true, true true at the beginning. Which, by the way, as someone who, my sister lives in Papua New Guinea, and they speak a pigeon language there it is which is what this is it's it's exactly what it is and it i loved it so much it's like oh yeah this would absolutely make sense as a post-apocalyptic language it was so cool one voice whispering out there spying from a dog totally i mean and on this show in this con in the context of this show i am your special guest today (laughs) in pigeon (laughs) You got it. Sicely. Sicely true true. Uh sicely, yeah. Sicely, I am. Curio and and so on. Um I think that the the one maybe there are a couple pieces of dodgy prosthetic makeup. One of them is yes. on I would say that Timothy Cav- Cavendish's brother Denny yeah. on Hugh Grant is a little weird. His eyes kind of get droopy. Mm-hmm. Um you know where that that looks more melty than than organic. When the woman who plays yeah. the uh Rep, what is it? What is he called? Replicant? They're the uh, fabricant. The fabricant. Fabricant. Fab- yeah, fabricant. fabricant. Yeah, I wrote down replicant first too, but that's played <laughs> she Right, right. Well, she plays the fabricant, but then she plays um, the Hispanic woman. And like that makeup's yeah, a little dodgy sure. as well. She w- plays a white woman in the 19th, in the 1840s when um, right. Mr. Adam, I think Ewing, returns, goes back home and it, she plays his wife. And there's, yeah, I mean, like you can't talk about Clad Atlas without talking about ethnicity crossing and yeah. the controversy therein. So, so just to back up for our, for your listeners, this, the, st- the stories, the six stories span uh, centuries as old as the 1840s. And then as 
as futury as 2346 so like way out there 106 uh winters after the fall mm. um <laughs> and right. so we're going we're going period we're going old school period we're going 1930s we're going uh, 1973 yeah. we're which is so lush and juicy i think that's my favorite yes. cinematography of the movie yes we're we're going 2012 into modern day when the movie was made and that's where um, the Tim- Timothy Cavendish <laughs> knuckle sandwich yes. storyline is. And then we're going into Neo Soul uh, 2144 with the, you know, Sanmi right. 451. Like, so, f- like, very much into the sci-fi territory. Right. And to me, all of those genres hold together as as their own. Well, I think part of that's achieved through the splitting up of directors as well. I, I believe uh, right. the Wachowskis took the 1840s one and then the two very futuristic ones. And then you're left with, uh, sorry, I don't have the director's name in front of me. The guy, Tom, who, Tom Tickford. Yeah. He did the, the thirties, the thirties, the seventies, and, and the 2012. 2012. Right. Yeah. And that, there is something about like, they are distinct and yet connected in a way that's like uh, cohesive. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. wouldn't guess that you would say, Hey, have these multiple, have these teams that are so disconnected just using the same mm-hmm. actors mm-hmm. and then let's just put it all together but it works yeah well this is something that you would see more often in the 90s in the heyday of indie cinema and like the 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 the, the miramax empire days um is that you would see these indie studios put out anthology films where multiple directors would be involved in sort of creating the same story universe movies like Four Rooms, for example. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of this one. I don't think so. But it was it was Quentin Tarantino's first film after Pulp Fiction, and it was it was Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Alice, Allison Anders, who was a cool indie direct, director at the time, and then a fourth uh, indie director I forget, um, telling this cohesive story starring Tim Roth as a bellboy in a hotel. It was so nineties. Oh my god, you you you've never seen anything so nineties. But, um, you know, in the, in, in my kind of film education heyday, this was more common for you to see multiple filmmakers telling the same story, mm. um, mm. because there was a sort of a different institutional respect of, of movies than there is now when movies mm. are basically second class citizen. Adam, you said when you first saw this movie and you've also said you've watched it many, how many times have you seen this movie? You said since? Um, I would estimate like 15 to 20. I, so I, the, when I, whenever I get like a new TV or like, I've got a couple of, um, projector screening room situations, whenever I set up a new screen, Mm. cloud Atlas has to be the first movie I watch on it. Wow. It's just a ritual. Okay. Um, so I'll watch it all the time. I said, I took, I also took my partner when I told her I had to watch cloud Atlas. She saw it on the calendar. (laughs) She was like, Oh, I remember when you took me to that one in the theater and I was like, yeah, I remember that. And she, and she said it was the worst day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is my question. You said the first time you saw this, you took two of your employees at the time, and you cried as you left. Yeah, I mean... What is it about this movie that hits you deeply emotionally? Is it one of the stories? Is it just the nature of the work as it is? Well, I'm a softy. I'm a softy. And so I, I, I believe that God is love. And, and this, to me, this movie is about love and the, and well, no, no, you say you're a softy. I mean, 
I cry at angels in the outfield when they all stand up and wave their arms. That's my definition of softy. But I feel yeah. like, like I did not cry at the end of this movie. I was in shock. No, no, no. And I and I don't think I I, I think I was teary eyed because of the overwhelmingness of the movie. Just like sure. the achievement. Like you know, sometimes you can go to the Sistine Chapel and and cry because it's so exalted you know right, to, right for instance you know when i think when when i saw the movie the first time and the the stowaway this the slave oh, yes. uh stowaway on the ship when they make him when they test him and make him go uh you know drop the sail right and he does that incredible act of yes. acrobatics and then ends it just as you know they're getting ready to do something uh terrible and then he ends it by diving off the end of the pole yes with the rope or you know that the the sail with the rope and does that uh, you know incredible free willy triumphant dance move and, and lands that was to me that was like raise my fist in the air with tears in my eyes I love that yes, feeling more yes. than anything that's the human spirit to me that was a beautiful scene and also with that same character as evil Tom Hanks is slowly poisoning yeah. Jim Sturgis in yeah. like the bow of the ship Adam yeah, Ewing Adam Ewing yeah seeing Tom Hanks as that kind of villain was it just messed with me because you don't usually see Tom Hanks in that kind of role. Well, he needs the right teeth. Yeah. <laughs> the right wild hair and yeah. like, yeah. He was great at it. And what I love about that is that Tom Tom Hanks as an actor is the one who gets to take almost like one c- complete spiritual journey or... Right. Y- you know, from, from beginning to end chronologically, he's the one who starts out as a complete, you know, complete evil. Right. And then by the end of the story ends up as complete good you know like that right. he's the only one who gets that cons- cohesive path through his um continuity of souls right and all the rest of them are sort of self-contained is this movie talking about reincarnation like is it implying that along these stories no i i don't i don't think so i don't think that there's really any religiosity to the to the to the narratives right i think it's i don't know if i, if I was to hypothesize uh and pull something out of my butt i would say I I would say that the theory is that there are there are types of people that exist in the world and and mm. you know that there can we can we can sort of retroactively apply continuity you know even in something as chaotic as the billions of people that have existed on this planet uh the reason it's called cloud atlas is because it's taking something that is ever changing and evolving and always chaotic like clouds right and we can try to retroactively apply some sort of a system of logic or pathway to it one of my favorite themes is how in the future neo soul storyline the fabricant sanmi 451 sanmi 451 she has this she wants to free basically like other fabricants you know and she has this final scene where she's speaking this oration you know to Mm -hmm. whoever will listen i believe it's being broadcast right and it's fascinating how that then becomes like a holy text for the people that are living hundreds of years later in like 2346 i almost got a guy pierce time machine feeling for the you know the farthest in the future story Mm -hmm. because it was almost like you you take this neo soul story and it's like it mushes together and becomes a religious thing for this later time i thought that was just super interesting how they did that continuity from one to the other Oh, I agree. And then like that, the furthest point in the future, there's this, there are these parallel worlds of the Valleysmen and the Prescience. The Valleysmen are these tribal, you know, sort of like almost 
you know, pre-literate right. civilization. Yet at the same time, they're being visited by the prescients who are these ultra, ultra, ultra evolved, you know, technology-based society. Right. I, I wonder how those two things map to each other. How, like how the Valleysman can be aware of those people and not think like oh no we did everything wrong right but i yeah i I, i'm with you i love that through line of religion and you know that this essentially sanmi is writing the scriptures in video format right and that there being you know her passage that she speaks on video that she we end up um repeating a few times is our lives are not our own from womb to tomb we are bound to others past and present Mm. and by each crime and every kindness we birth our future so i mean that's that's basically that's the nut of the film that's that's the message throughout um that we exist for the betterment of others and and every choice that we make Mm. will will sort of like it'll persist throughout time and space forever and ever our lives are not our own. From womb to tomb, we are bound to others. Past and present. And by each crime and every kindness, we birth our future. Right. It's that it's that feeling that like what Adam Ewing says to Hugo's character at the end when he says, like, basically, what will this ultimately mean? You're just a drop in the ocean. And and uh, Adam, or Jim Starr just says in that moment something about the line like, but what is an ocean but a multitude of drops? Right. Right. right, right. Exactly. And these exactly. these small, small little pieces end up making up the entire fabric of it altogether. No matter what you do, it will never amount to anything more than a single drop in a limitless ocean. What is an ocean but a multitude of drops? Right. It's, it's a deeply philosophical movie if you're open to the experience, if you're not put off by all of the the weirdness in the format and story presentation. I think that it's pretty strong. It doesn't feel, to me, it never feels like cluttered. It always feels like it's pretty built on a solid foundation. Well, I'm going to give, I'll give a little bit of pushback here for people like me who are a little bit more dumb. <laughs> that there is, there are moments. No, no, no. No, no. There, Green. Uh, well, <laughs> simple for me. No, the, there are times sure. in this movie where I do have to say, so that uh, we don't uh, sound, I'm not trying to sound too erudite at this moment, but there are some passages and lines in this movie that I did have the thought of, I'm not sure if you, the character, earned a line that is meant to be so philosophical. Mm. Like, there are some lines that are very, very dense in this movie, and at times I go, I don't understand that. <laughs> I don't understand what that, it's like, yeah. you just read me poetry, yeah, and you read it in a way that's supposed to be so deep, and so like, oh, this is this is important because it's said the rhetoric is beautiful. Yeah. But then at times I think to myself, all right, hold on a second. Uh, I yeah. push back the fact that I don't understand this. That's such a fair point, Nate. And I'm glad you said it. I, I firmly believe in this idea of a character earning the right to do something or act a certain way. And if you didn't feel like it was earned, then it wasn't earned. Well, there is actually one character that I feel like didn't earn it as much. And that was who's that? Like for example, I thought um, the composer guy who yeah 
ends up Robert Frobisher. Yes, the exquisitely beautiful man, uh, yes. Ben Wishop, as as Robert. Frobisher. Yes, yes, yes. He, I felt like he earned it. Like I felt like he had, as part of his like mm. composing poetic speech. I felt like okay, yeah, I get this. This makes sense. I was a bit troubled by sort of the romanticization <laughs> of his suicide, but like. Beyond that, yeah, I felt funny. like his his overall like his overall words really hit me. I felt like right, man. This I hope this isn't too controversial. I think the San Mi going from I'm here to help the other fabricants, and I believe that we have the right mm. to be free and we have the right to life. I think that she makes a pretty big stretch <laughs> in her for, you know in her final speech to basically uh this view outside of life or outside of her mortal section and all of a sudden having this very wise like we know i will love him forever past and present and i thought wait where did this come from you just learned that you (laughs) eat other fabricants soylent green as people (laughs) yeah this is true but i think you have to suspend disbelief a little bit in the same way that you you know like somebody can get this is going to be controversial too somebody can get knocked on their head and they've never played the violin before but they get knocked on their head and now they can play like concertos the Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know master level concertos and i think that you have to sort of just believe that in this story world she's been she's unlocked some sort of a preternatural capacity uh to see truth in human existence that nobody else can Mm. and just because she hasn't like learned it like the rest of us right doesn't mean it can't exist but i'm right there with you i think that that character and also that performer hasn't necessarily proven like that proven that journey to us yeah i want i want to say another another journey that i really loved yeah was uh, you had mentioned that the Tom Hanks journey is like the clearest, like through the eras mm. or through the different time periods. He mm-hmm. he becomes, he's part, I would say, evil and then cowardly and then fighting, basically fighting off this selfish devil-like <laughs> manifestation. Yeah, old Georgie, old Georgie. Old yeah. Georgie. Old Georgie. <laughs> to become, you know, selfless and courageous. And that's part of his journey. I think... That the Hugo Weaving, which, by the way, I am always, always, always happy to see Hugo Weaving in a villain role. You know, watching his kind of character arc through the thing goes from I am basically a slaveholder and feeling like the natural order of things is for me to be in power and to oppress others. And then throughout the arcs, his character becomes more and more... Uh, same thing with Hugh Grant. Both of their characters become more and more just savagely evil. It's almost like you're watching oh, yeah. what goes from just, oh, you're just a power-hungry businessman. And it's almost like you see the evolution of their characters to eventually one is the devil or like the <laughs> yeah. like true evil. And the other is a cannibal who is truly yeah. eating other yeah. people. And that is a yeah. fun, like you're seeing sort of the cross line of, hey, this sort of power hungry selfishness mm-hmm. over you know if you're if you're seeing the big course of humanity when that's left to foster that just becomes bestial in nature and i think that's a cool mm. uh, sort of cross uh, de-evolution that that's right and i and i think that not to get 
to to high high level here high on my own supply but i think if you if you think of this movie as being composed like a symphony then you think of those actors as instruments or you know instrumental sections in the orchestra and sometimes you know in a multi multi movement symphony you'll see one instrument sort of develop and evolve mm. or you'll see it stay the same or you'll see it reinforce itself and its presence and grow and grow and grow. And I think that that's what like Hugo Weavings and Hugh Grants, who are sort of interchangeable actors in some ways, uh, they, they, they reinforce themselves as that evil that grows and grows and grows and become more evil. And then other characters, I think, you know, are the flutes and maybe they, 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 mm. they repeat their motifs in a certain way that reinforces their fluteness. And I think that Tom Hanks's instrument is is the one that uh, takes more of a journey and starts in one place and ends up somewhere completely else. I do have to say, seeing Hugo Weaving as the like nursing home bodyguard or bouncer is pretty wild. And that was one of some of the most harrowing scenes watching Cavendish try to escape uh, this place and the, the whole escape scene in general. I don't know. I just I kind of. I don't know. That was some of the most suspenseful moments for me. <laughs> yeah, it really hit home for you. Oh, that that was awesome. The the <laughs> the escapes. I mean, yes. to me, there's three triumphant moments in this movie. the 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 first one I mentioned already with the with the stowaway setting the sail. Yes. The second one is um in uh you know in Neo Soul with Sunmi and uh, Agent Chang escaping the soldiers from that truck situation and right and, sh- and he blasts the hell out of him and does some kung fu and, and she goes who are you and to me that is like that's so the matrix yes. like she's so trinity right. and he's so neo he even looks like neo except he has very problematic prosthetic makeup yeah. <laughs> yes yes i'm gonna mention that problematic yeah. problematic so like this is probably the one choice of all of them that got them in trouble with you know with the the advocacy groups for asian yes. americans and, you know, and and such and i think if they had that to do over they would probably not have made those same choices but right is what it is i don't think it added anything uh, i mean i know that throughout the movie there is which I think is actually a bit of a saving grace at times is that they are so um, both gender and ethnicity um, fluid, fluid, fluid throughout the whole the whole movie that it's like, hey, this wasn't the one time we did it. We did it backwards the other way. We did it the other. Yeah. 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 This is one of those moments where I think you didn't have to do the prosthetics on him. He could just look a little bit more like himself. And be yeah, he could have been around soul. Right? Yeah, he, <laughs> he the, didn't need the lycanthic fold. Exactly, and and that's uh yeah. that yeah you're right. That's something that probably going back you'd be like, man, that didn't add anything to the movie necessarily. But we could have taken it out. Right. What did you say? What were you going to say? The third triumphant moment was. By the way, I said lycanthic, but I meant epic epicanthic. He didn't need the epicanthic fold. This is something completely different. Lycanthic. I, I think that's werewolf. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Lycan. <laughs> They're liking, like yeah. Oh, the third triumphant moment was uh, when they bust out when the when the old folks bust out of Aurora House and they yeah, yeah, they yeah. drive through the the gate and the music swells and they all go yay yes. you know it's just like that's one that I laugh out loud every single time because it feels so good <laughs> and which Cavendish you know he actually goes back to his old love yeah once he escapes that nursing home and that was a part of the story like I wasn't expecting and once they introduce it. You immediately start rooting for him, yeah. and you're like, "Oh yeah, that's you need to go back to her." And yeah. you know, that was a nice moment. Well, his character has a journey just within his own right. story, where he starts as completely selfish 
and greedy and, and cowardly. And then he ends up being selfless. You know, when he goes back to pick up Mr. Meeks. Yeah, right. Exactly. Which I know, I know. I don't know if I would have risked that. <laughs> it was really close. Right. Oh, so charming though. No, so charming. No. I know. I know. Okay. I have a couple questions because I just finished this movie for the first time and I would like to learn for a second or two. And that is, uh-huh. that is this as part of like, I guess the point of the story or the lesson I'm supposed to be learning Am I to take that? Oh, I don't know. How what's to, the moral? Uh, like, what's the I mean, moral I mean, of the story? Am I to sort of see that you should be looking outside of your life as like humanity's course in general? I think the takeaway is that you, it's, it's worthwhile to reflect on how you fit into the bigger picture right. of humanity. Mm. And just the overall themes of like selflessness and or sacrifice. Yeah. That kind of stuff. I mean, one of my favorite through lines, one of my favorite threads through all of the stories is this idea of human worth and freedom from bondage Mm. and how you you learn that, you know, that one piece of media in the Kino that Sanmi uh, and her friend see, and it's like a six second clip of the recreation, the, the, you know, the, the movie version of Timothy Cavendish's story where <laughs> Tom Hanks, the actor, plays Timothy Cavendish, right. has then gone on to inspire. And he says one line of dialogue, which is, I will not be subject to cr- criminal abuse. subject to criminal. <laughs> subjected to criminal abuse. And that's the one clip of dialogue that they see in this kino, which is contraband for them, for the fabricants, right. and that it inspires her not only to break out of her own uh, bondage, but to then go and try to free her whole, uh, you know, people from um, from their own bondage, and I think that that is a powerful message in and of itself. That a piece of media can be that valuable, even if it's just a six second clip on a on a yes. on a friggin' Sanyo MP3 player or whatever that was. <laughs> well, and talking about like the value of media too in the scenes of Ben Wishaw composing the music, oh. and you know he finds the half book. Yeah which is the story of the older cutscenes, you know, the other story, early, you know, right. time period-wise happens earlier. Yeah. And he could never find this other half of the book he was trying to read. Yeah. And we see in the end yeah. that it was propping up the bed of the yeah. old guy who was just a terrible person. Yeah, Vivian Ayers. Yeah, it was prop. That's what that was under that bedpost. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't get that. Just learned that. <laughs> when yeah. I caught that, it's just... Such a good detail. That's just kind of like a real-life parallel of like... What gets lost to time because of one person's miscaring or, you know, or just such a good point, you know, treating something frivolously yeah. that actually has tremendous value, but instead it's propping up a bedpost. Right. Totally. I, I, I totally love that. Um, speaking of Frobisher and Vivian Ayers, to me, the, the, the movie first takes flight. And I remember this from seeing it the first time. When you're like first, you're first, you're first like, what, what the hell am I watching? Right. Okay. There's Tom Hanks. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. Then you get the scene where after Robert Frobisher, you know, jumps out the window and goes on an adventure. Right. And he finds Vivian Ayers, world famous composer. Right. And he's interviewing to be his Vivian Ayers amanuensis, which is a word I, I just learned then, but now you That's try to throw into every conversation. Oh, it's, it's a good surprisingly one. Surprisingly hard. <laughs> How do you even spell that? 
<laughs> right. I don't even know. But an amanuensis is somebody who works for a composer and is essentially a transcriber, listens to the to the composer's right. musical ideas sung out loud or spoken out loud. A scribe, but for music. A scribe, exactly. And writes them down, transcribes them into musical notation. Oh, my God. As just an, like a tangential aside. I just listened to this pod, an episode of this podcast called uh, Twenty Thousand Hertz, and uh, yeah, they told the story it. of the yeah. So they told the story of the creation of that original HBO promo, where um, you know from the from the eighties, there it's like they used to white play static. it in front of movies, yeah. uh, not the static one, but the big like epic. It's like it flies over a city, oh, and okay. uh, it's really cinematic, the most expensive you know TV promo thing that ever been made. And they interview the composer of that thing. And it turns out that he's very similar. Like he doesn't actually play all those, those instruments when he's composing a theme. He just sings them into a tape recorder, uh, sings all the parts into a tape recorder. And then somebody else, an amanuensis, then uh, wow. uh, writes them down. Wow. In any case, the, that first scene where Frobisher listens to Vivian Ayers say his melody idea. Yeah. And then he tries to, he tries to write it down. He's kind of, he's kind of bobbling and fumbling it a bit. And then he just puts his hands on the keys and he starts playing one of the most haunting, beautiful melodies you've ever yes. heard, but it's very challenging. It's almost like jazz. Yes. And Vivian Ayers goes, um, what is my, it's one of the best lines. He says, hurting me you must have misheard me i said i had a melody not a malady yeah yeah exactly i love it <laughs> but then as he's walking away right as he's just about to fire because right. white halle berry white jewish halle berry says no that's a beautiful that's a beautiful piece of music <laughs> wait a minute that was halle berry oh yeah jocasta oh steven Joca- Steven, Steven, Steven. I spent all this movie. That is, that was my fifty percent of my brain. That's probably why I didn't understand the deep lines. I was spending all the time going, okay, so that's a prosthetic nose. But did they also put a prosthetic jaw on that? Okay, that was also like, right? So I, I mean, I loved. It's basically a a Where's Waldo, but the Waldo is either (laughs) Halle Berry or Tom Hanks, or is that Hugo (laughs) Hugo Weaving? Weaving, yeah. And they even get cameos. Like some of them get. Uh, Easter egg cameos where it's just they pop into right, a quick. scene but it's never yeah. they don't get any dialogue yeah Jim Broadband is is playing uh, like a street performer <laughs> I in love New that Soul. you said sorry Jim Broad- Broadband is the best kid <laughs> <Broadband>. <laughs> This, that's his new soul name. It's futuristic, and it's, yeah, yeah, it's with it. It's, it's modern. Yeah. Whoops. Yes. And sorry, who did Jim Broadbent play? Uh, <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, Jim? I can't even. Street performer and new soul. Ben Wishaw is in the scene where uh, Tom Hanks throws the, the critic off the balcony, but he just plays this funny like bystander oh. with a silly haircut and a funny scarf. And he's just there for no reason. Okay, I need to rewatch it just for this. Like, imagine that. Imagine that you're an actor in this movie and they're just like, okay, come to set. You're going to hang out in your trailer, get a funny wig. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe a funny nose. And then you're just going to stand there in the scene for this one I shot. I kind of feel like that's sort of how they treated Susan Sarandon during this movie is they said, like, listen, yeah. we don't need you for that long. Just come and hang yeah. out and do like a fun scene here or there. <laughs> and she's probably like, yeah, yeah this is great. Yeah, she's great. She has a she has a bad prosthetic nose. 
in the 1840s. 80%. 80% of the makeup's great. This was Halle Berry. I'm staring at this picture of Halle Berry as Jocasta. from that scene. And I, just, I just can't believe it. Yeah. yeah. Even as I look at it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I want to say something that at first bugged me and now doesn't bug me anymore. And that's this. A normal movie <laughs> would take this whole plot and then would tie it all neatly back together at the end. And because I think that's what a lot of movie audiences expect is that the main characters realize that they have, you know, their soul has been living multiple lives. And all of a sudden Tom Hanks goes like, I was so-and-so. And like, he looks at Halle Berry and they all like, they look at each other and they remember all of the lives they've had together and how they're drawn to each other. And there's this big sweeping moment. That's how like, the normal movie would do and i was during while i was watching this movie i was kind of hoping for that too because that's kind of what i've been trained to hope for is the moment mm. where the main mm. characters realize the broad truth of the whole thing is that you know they know what we know as the audience and they have it all revealed mm. to them but they don't in this movie they have flashes and dreams and deja vu and different thoughts but it doesn't end with like a really neat and tidy like all the actors come together in a final scene and be like <laughs> do a musical number <laughs> yeah 500 years of us doing these things hey sorry for killing you 200 years ago hey no worries water under the bridge and <laughs> i really appreciate the fact that they don't just bring them together sure it really they really stay of going like no 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 they don't know like, maybe there's an arc to their character, but they, they wouldn't know. No, because why would they know? Because we'll never know. Mm -hmm. No, they're, they're, you can't know human, that you can't know the unifying truth of, of existence. It's, it's part of the human condition. You'll never know the tsunami you caused by the butterfly right. across the thing. Right. It's like you don't actually know the results of your actions. You're just a drop in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all we, can do is, all, we, all we can do is sort of retroactively apply um, so, some sort of a logic or through line to what's, what's ultimately chaotic. And sometimes your life's happy, and sometimes you get blown up in a plane. Right. Sometimes we, we tell stories to do that. We write symphonies to do that. We, we paint pictures or whatever it is and these are our own attempts at reconciling the 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 ultimate truths of human existence but the really i think that that's the point of life is that pursuit but not ultimate realization of the truth mm. okay if someone has listened to this show and did not see cloud atlas you, i have no idea how you made it to this point in the episode <laughs> but yeah. oh it would make no sense no zero if they did cardinal isagor how could you possibly prepare someone to approach this movie? They say, all right, I'm going to go watch Cloud Atlas now. It's on HBO Max. I'm going to sit down for three hours and watch it. How, how would you recommend they Ooh, yeah, yeah. put themselves in the mindset? Pop up on their screen and tell them. Yeah, in just this movie. I would say just like you're going, try to appreciate this movie for what it is and not for what it isn't. And I would say open yourself to the idea that a movie can be something completely different than what you were expecting it to be. And try to appreciate the craftsmanship. In, it, craftsmanship involved telling these stories and weaving them together. You know, bringing all of these disparate resources together to to craft this one three-hour epic adventure through time. Yeah. And I would say, like, if you can if you can open yourself up to that experience, you will get something out of it. If you're comparing it to what a movie should be, then you're gonna you're gonna hate it. So <laughs> open yourself to hating it too. And I think, like, for me, maybe after the first hour. I told myself, all right, I need to stop trying to figure anything out. 
I need to stop trying to look for the connections and just kind of sit there and watch it Mm -hmm. and just, you know, let it kind of wash over me. (laughs) And then, you know, at the end, not that you'll understand a hundred percent, but I think if you make it to the end, you will see some of the themes that it's trying to communicate Mm -hmm. and some of the deep messages, you know, but you do have to wait to the end, (laughs) you know? Sure. Well, you know, it, it depends. You know, I, I, I actually, I enjoy the first third of the movie a lot more than the last third for sure. I think that's pretty common for me though. I love the world building and I love trying to make sense of that world that is being built as it's being built and not, not necessarily as it's concluding. Right. Um, but takes all kinds. At the end, we rate a movie on a scale of zero to five, some obscure object from the movie. And because this picture keeps showing up in the IMDb, it's the plunger that that mafia sticks to Timothy Cavendish's face. Oh, that's face, such a funny scene. Which is, yeah. which is hilarious. And uh, yeah, that would be... Okie dokie. I love how he said that one guy says, okie dokie. Okie dokie. I have a feeling I, I know what you would rate this movie, uh, Cardinal, but what? how many zero to five plungers, Adam, would you give Cloud Atlas? Amazing. I mean, all five plungers without question. Five plungers. Yeah. Right. Five plungers. Very good. Nate, how would you rate this movie? Ooh, I'm going to give Cloud Atlas. Would, Nate, will you ever watch this movie again? Well, this, that is an amazing question because I ended the movie and thought, I don't need to go through this again. <laughs> but now after talking with you guys again about it, I do feel like I have an itch. Mm-hmm. Maybe not to to sit down and watch half of it on my computer and half of it on my phone like this time, but maybe like go see it on Adam's projection screen on his TV right. uh, at some point in time with good audio. I'm going to say I'm going to give it three and a half plungers, three full plungers and one just the little red plungy thing at the end. <laughs> That's great. It, mm-hmm. Overall, it is... I'm not going to lie, quite strange, quite different, but you know what? I don't mind quite different every once in a while. Like, I also saw, I think we're going to do this next week. This is the opposite of what I would call a by-the-book movie of the modern day, that new James Bond movie, something don't die right now. But (laughs) this is not that, and I appreciate it not being that because it gets a little stale having just, this is the normal hero's journey, and this is the normal conflict and the normal resolution. I thought it was pretty fun. Most people won't like it, and I know people's time is important to them, but if you have three hours and you just want to sit back and relax, I recommend it. Talking to someone right after the movie who's maybe seen it with you, and you can discuss eternity and humanity and the universe and God and all sorts of wonderful things <laughs> afterwards. Uh, that's how I recommend seeing this movie. Three and a half plungers. Great. Adam, I recommend you start a business where after someone sees this movie, they can call you for $100. <laughs> a and cameo. for five minutes, you'll, you'll, you'll yeah. talk them through it. <laughs> you'll help Cam- them process. Cameo Atlas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh my goodness. As soon as this movie ended, like you, Nate, I, I thought, I don't think I could ever do this again. You know, it's just, it's just so, it's so much to do. But like you, I also have not really an itch. It's more of like, is that an itch? It'll go away in a minute. You know, so I'm not sure if it's enough to see it again. But yeah, I'll, I'm going to give it four plungers wow. because some of the themes are super deep. And I, I think it is good stories. 
I don't know if this would have been better as like multiple movies. Probably not. Like if this was a part one, part two, I don't know if it would even work like that. How about modern Amazon Prime TV show or like a Netflix TV show? You get a different storyline every... Well... Like an anthology series? You make a good point because I think that there's actual more risk taken in that format now than there is in in feature-length cinema. I think that, I don't know, if you look at something like that show, um, Station, what is it, Station 7, Station 9, the the one on HBO? Mm, don't know. Station 11. Station Shit, 13. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going up by twos. <laughs> Station 11, it's called. It's kind of like a post-apocalyptic story on HBO or The Leftovers, for instance, where nothing makes mm, sense. Mm-hmm. There's a lot right. more room to push the envelope on TV now that, uh, or on streamers oh. than there is in cinema. Mm. And so it could, it could, you could be right that it was, it's, it's better suited to that format, but also things disappear forever on that format. And right. I much prefer that this exists as, um, as an artifact in time. Yes, you know, you know, in the institutionalized format of movies with the capital M. Mm, That's good. Well, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Listeners should check out All Consuming, which is your podcast with Noah Kalina, where you talk about internet stuff, internet products, and it's a it's a wonderful show. Yeah, we talk about uh, products that are typically direct to consumer that you would be uh, advertised to on. uh, on your Instagram or whatnot. And we, uh, we try a new product every week and we, we talk about it and goof on it and goof on each other and review it. And, um, yes. Yeah. It's, it's great fun. I would, I would still love for you to do hollow pillow, which is a buckwheat filled, uh, sleeping device. It sounds good. <laughs> it is, uh, I'd love to hear your experience of that, but all consuming. And then of course you are sandwich.co is your incredible video production company. That's right. My the sandwich is my company and we have great fun. And yeah, I like doing this. So thank you for inviting me back on. It's been a huge pleasure to come talk about my single favorite movie in the entire universe. <laughs> From now, it's, it's not something that you still love. It's something that you will always love. Past, oh, present, absolutely. and future. Mm. Yep. We're all but drops in the yep. ocean. Threading it together. Exactly. And as we always say, fear, belief, love, phenomena that determine the course of our lives. These forces begin long before we are born and continue after we perish. I will not be subjected to criminal abuse.